Amen. I always kind of tear up, you know, when, I, when uh, Chase sings that song. I love that song. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is, uh, is Nick. And uh, you know what I'm really grateful for this morning? I'm grateful for air conditioning, okay? If you came to the 9 a.m., I had to do this in the 9 a.m., and pretty much two minutes in, I was a wet dog, okay? I was just like sweat through my pants. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that doesn't happen up here. But if it does, just, just give, give me a break, okay? You know, I got some bad genes from my dad and having to sweat a lot. And so that's just the deal. But uh, it was a little rough, you know, at the night with all, with all that. But, um, but I'm excited to be here this morning. Uh, you know, my wife, Bree and I, if you don't know us, we, we help work with our youth and family ministry here. And, um, you know, we're, we're really excited. We have some fun things um, that are going to be going on in our family. In, uh, in February, you know, we're having a little baby girl. And so <clears throat> we're, uh, we're thrilled to invite a little baby girl in here in February, you know, hopefully, and just praying for praying for uh, strength and, and health for uh, baby and for Brie. Um, so our, our topic this morning that was given was, you know, we've been going through faithful together. And uh, we've been talking a lot about, okay, being hospitable together, serving with one another, being on the mission together. The, the topic I got today was, uh, was serving the poor together. And, um, and I'm, we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. Um, obviously, it's a massive topic. You know, one in 10 New Testament passages are about serving the marginalized and the outcasts and the poor in some sort of way. If you go to the book of Luke, that actually jumps to one in seven passages. So the, the Bible is just full. You know, obviously Jesus' mission is just, it's full of this idea of trying to help, you know, serve the poor. Uh, someone once told me, you know, if you want to make people feel guilty in a sermon, um, preach about one of three things. Uh, prayer, evangelism, or serving the poor, okay? And so because there's, none of us maybe feel like we're necessarily doing enough, you know, in all those areas. And so it'd be easy to get up here and just like kind of, go on that little guilt trip ride, you know, because there's, there's obviously so many needs, you know, in the world right now. Uh, and so the hope is that we're not going to do that, but we're just going to kind of just, just come before Jesus, just try to learn from him and try to, and try just to get some encouragement, then to go out into the world and really try to make a difference. Um, you know, I got, I got a text this week uh, from my eighth grade social studies teacher. Um, and so that was maybe, that was probably 15, yeah, 14 years ago at this point. And her name is Mrs. Tyra uh, up in Connecticut. And she said, you know, Nick, we had to wear orange today for, our, uh, for school. And so I found the perfect shirt. And uh, it says JamQuest. And I want to tell a little bit about what JamQuest means here in a minute. Um, first of all, I wanted to give it up for our teachers in the room, okay? And just our teachers and our coaches. Um, man, you guys... You guys are making an extraordinary difference. And I know if it wasn't for Mrs. Tyra, she helped change my life. You know, this eighth grade social studies class and this project. But I want to tell you the story about JamQuest and basically how uh, with, with this service project that we had to do in eighth grade for, for, uh, for an assignment and also just a commercial I watched. And it's a little bit of the story of kind of, I feel like what God did um, in this really cool journey that he took me on. And so I want to show this video as we start just to kind of tell that story. Hi, my name is Nick Schaff. Back when I was 13 years old, I lived in Connecticut. Had an awesome family and I lived in a great town. I had a pretty normal middle school life. But I'll never forget sitting on the couch like most 13 year olds do and watching TV. And a commercial came on about a little African boy uh, who was my age, but he lived in poverty. And I remember hearing about a lot of the things that went on with kids my age around the world. How there's preteens out there that are ahead of their household or how 
There's little girls who traveled miles and hours just to get clean water for their families. Or little boys who uh, were forced into violence and into war. I heard about how disease and hunger and fear and violence described the lives of so many kids my age around the world. I remember wanting so badly just to do something to help. I felt so privileged and so grateful for the life that I had that I, I felt like it was my responsibility to give back. But I had no idea what I was gonna do. I wasn't famous, I was young, I didn't have any money, didn't have any influence. All I knew was that I loved basketball. So I decided to throw together a three-month-three basketball tournament as a service project for my middle school to raise money for kids in Kenya. It was called Jam Quest. That year we raised just under three grand. something huge that year. I started to believe that I could make a difference in the life of another kid by just deciding to care. So we started dreaming and JamQuest began to grow. several years, we raised tens of thousands of dollars, I spoke to thousands of kids, we helped dozens of kids in need have the chance to go to school. And then finally, after seven years of JamQuest being around, I got to go to Kenya and visit some of the kids we've been helping out. And I was blown away by what I saw. there, there was this amazing young lady named Valentine that I met. She came over to me and said, hey, Nick, can I tell you a story? I said, yeah, of course. She said, you know, when I was 13 years old, I got pregnant and I gave birth to a little girl. And at that moment, I had no idea what I was going to do. I felt in the dark. I felt alone. I felt scared. I felt like my whole future was, was in question. My dad could barely support my brother and I. He, he didn't have a job. He was a single parent. So we had no idea what I was gonna do. I couldn't go to school, and I felt like hope was lost. I felt so scared. And I remember looking at her and just feeling so much compassion and just feeling so, so sorry that she had to go through that. Uh, it was just not even close to what I had to go through when I was 13 years old. But then she said, but then Nick, then JamQuest found me and gave me the fees to be able to go to school. It was at that moment that I felt like I was brought out of darkness and into the light. And it's amazing because Valentine went on to finish high school and she went on to start her own small business. And now she actually volunteers for an organization that goes into the schools and tries to mentor teenagers and help them try to realize their potential. And she looked at me, she said, Nick, I came to visit you today and say hello because my little six-year-old daughter wanted me to tell you that you helped change her life. And there are so many stories just like Valentine's. And with your help, there could be so many more. You know, changing the world is about each of us making a decision. A decision to care. A decision to use our talents, our gifts, our opportunities to help somebody else. And when we decide to care, 
it ignites a cycle in emotion, a cycle of hope. Robert Kennedy says, each time a man stands up for an ideal, or acts to improve the lot of others, or strikes out against injustice, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope. And those ripples build a current, which can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. Right now, there are 2.2 billion kids in our planet. About half of them live in some sort of poverty. Imagine if one billion kids decided to rise up and to help one billion other kids break the cycle of poverty in their lives, one kid at a time, one kid helping one kid break the cycle of poverty. So let's use what we have, whether it's a lot, whether it's a little, to serve, to give, to help others, and in doing so, sending forth a tiny ripple of hope. Let's go out and let's make a difference together. Go to jamquest.org and join us in our One Billion Kids Global Initiative and learn how you can change the world in your own community. You know, JamQuest, uh, it, was just, it was just really cool to see, to see what God did. You know, we, we, uh, we, we work really closely with Hope Worldwide. There are partners over there in Kenya. And uh, the Hope Worldwide team in, in Kenya is absolutely extraordinary. And some of the things that they're doing there. And over the years, God has, has raised, you know, over $150,000, you know, through JamQuest. He's helped 50 kids go, to, go through high school, some of them into college. And, um, and there's been thousands of kids around the, around the world that have been able to get involved in some sort of events or activity uh, to try to help um, some of these kids over there. And, uh, and it's still going today, which has been really cool. We've had a lot of even things here at North River. Um, you know, there have been so many things that God has taught me along this kind of journey. I wanted to share kind of two big things I learned uh, from, from, I think, what, you know, God's story here with JamQuest. The first was, uh, was I feel like I learned a new definition of poverty. You know, I don't, I don't know what you hear when you hear the word or the phrase, the poor, or helping the poor, or serving the poor. Uh, your mind, if, if it's like mine, might go quickly to the third world country or to the guy, you know, on the side of the, of the street that might be experiencing homelessness. And I actually think that word, that phrase, the poor, uh, can kind of be a little bit of a distancing word for us, where there's us and then there's the poor. And it kind of, it kind of starts creating these divided boundaries or these kind of like this unconscious hierarchy, I feel like, where it's like my job is there's us and we go and serve the poor and then we kind of then go back to our lives or we go and have a, we help, you know, we help the poor and then we go back to our lives. And I know in my own mind, it just tends to, it just tends to distance me from people and, uh, and kind of create these little categories. It's interesting. I remember uh, hearing once that uh, in the first world, if you go to, to a first world country and you ask them, what, what's the definition of poverty? You know, often they actually describe it in more material terms. Uh, a lack of income, uh, a lack of financial stability. If you go to the third world and you ask them, hey, what does poverty mean? They actually describe it more in relational terms, in emotional terms. A lack of close relationships, a lack of hope, uh, a lack of self-esteem and confidence, a lack of dignity, a lack of purpose. And so even in the third world, poverty has a very different uh, definition than it even does for us here in, in, uh, in the U.S., Mother Teresa said something similar when she said, you know, we think sometimes that poverty is only being hungry, naked, and homeless. 
The poverty of being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for is the greatest poverty. You know, after I shared this in I am, I actually, uh, you, know, our, you know, my brother Sujit pulled me aside and said, you know, I, I love this quote. He said, you know, he said, some people are so poor, all they have is money. And that, was, that was deep. I just kind of added that right in because I was like, Sujit, you're the man. Um, I think if you were to define poverty in those terms, I don't think you would need to leave your neighborhood to find the poor. Because though the poor are all around us. People are hurting, you know, all around us. It's not just the man, you know, at the stoplight or the kid in the slums. It's your coworker, your neighbor, one of your family members, the kid and your, your classmate, you know, sitting by themselves. It's the people who are outcasted, looked down upon, judged by those around them or unfairly treated. And in my experience, it's not really even about us going and helping the poor. You know how many people that you know, that I've met, you know, around in my travels uh, around the world where we would characterize them as poor, as poor, but when I meet them, they help me way more than I help them. There, there is a, a wisdom, a spirituality, a, a, a kind of relentlessness, a, a, a grit that is so inspiring from people that we might categorize as poor. You know, if you were to, if you were to define riches, to define richness as rich in, in perseverance or in a trust of God or in being grateful for the small things, oftentimes I am way more poor than people that, you know, we might categorize that way. You know, uh, James, I love what James says in, in James chapter 2. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? You know, it's so tempting, isn't it, to be judgmental, to categorize people, to put them in a certain box. And I love, I love, you know, what James says here. I love what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea in Revelation, where he says, hey, be careful actually who you categorize as poor. Because he actually says, hey, you say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and don't need anything. But guess what? You don't realize that you are the ones that are actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You know, we got to be real careful, you know, who we categorize that way. As opposed to just seeing, man, that's a human being. That is, that is a person that's just like me. You know, there's a, a quote from the wise sage, uh, Ted Lasso, okay? Uh, for those of you that maybe seen that show, Ted Lasso, he says this quote, which I actually is a Walt Whitman quote, but it actually, you know, I, I attribute it more to Ted Lasso now. He says, be curious, not judgmental. It's really simple. But one of, one of the things I've learned is curiosity has become one of my favorite qualities. When you are curious about somebody, you know what that does? When you just take a genuine curiosity in the person across from you, it just, it makes you, it makes you the same. It gives dignity to that person. It puts you on level ground, you know, with that person. Because you're not putting them in a box. It doesn't matter where they come from. I love this, I love this other quote that Noel gave me. It's from Mr. Rogers and others. It says, there isn't anyone you couldn't learn to love once you've heard their story. For me, I want to be quick to be curious. Instead of being quick to judge, seeing people the way that, seeing people the way that Jesus sees them. You know, um, 
I honestly think even that term serving the poor, even the idea of going and serving the poor, <clears throat> really, I, just, I don't think that's enough. Serving the poor. You know, because Jesus, he wasn't ridiculed for serving the poor or helping the poor. That was a Jewish idea. You, it, was, it was normal to go, you know, help and serve the poor. Jesus wasn't, he wasn't ridiculed for that. He was ridiculed for taking people that the world viewed as poor and had them at their, his dinner table and treated them like family. He didn't just go and serve them. He said, you're my brother. We're family together. You don't, I'm not just going out to serve you. You would belong right next to me at the dinner table, passing rolls across the table from each other, not just having a single service event, you know, that we go out and do because we feel bad for people, you know? Jesus was way more into, and I think America, we think in terms of charity. In the kingdom of God, we think in terms of family. And I think it's trying to get, man, I want to be family with these people. See them as my brothers and sisters and equals. And not just people that I'm just supposed to go and just supposed to take care of and serve. I don't know how you're feeling today. Maybe you feel poor today. Maybe you're kind of feeling poor in spirit today. You know what's amazing? Is that Jesus says, hey, guess where you belong? You belong right next to me at the dinner table. You don't, you don't need to get an, an invite to come in. I actually remember what Jesus says to, in Luke 14. He says, man, when you have a party, actually go invite the people that nobody else invites. Don't just invite your friends that are going to repay you back. Invite people that can't repay you back. But guess what? Because you will get repaid someday. In heaven, God is going to repay you back. But it's really looking at the people that are outcasted in the world and saying, hey, I want, you to, I want to bring you in. I don't want to just go out and then come back into my home. I want to bring you into my family and into my home. And so if you're feeling hurting today, you're in good company because Jesus wants you right. He's, he's, he wants you right next to him. He's like, dude, we're having sushi tonight. You didn't bring anything. That's cool. No worries. We have plenty. Come hang out with me. It's going to be a great time together. You know, I wonder if we defined, you know, poverty in those terms. And we just open our eyes and we just ask God, hey, God, open my eyes. I wonder what we would see around us. I wonder what he would show us. I think we'd be really, really uh, inspired and convicted. The second thing I learned is, um, you know, kind of a redefinition of poverty. And this is the second lesson. When you use what you have, God multiplies. My, one of my favorite stories in John 6, when uh, Jesus is feeding the, feeding the 5,000. And uh, he's met with a great crowd. John 6 verse 1 says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw, right, that idea of seeing, when he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, hey, where, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this, you know, only to test him, for he already knew, had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each, each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, half the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that space, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had gathered all, all, the, the, when, when, uh, when they had all enough to eat, 
He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I love this story right here. Because Jesus is met with this overwhelming crowd. I don't know about you, but I, the, 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 just what's going on in the world, the needs of the world are overwhelming. They're overwhelming for like just my, me as a single person. But he's met, he sees his crowd coming towards him. So he says, hey, we're going to get something to eat. He already kind of knows what he's doing. And uh, his disciples are like, dude, what? You didn't tell us 5,000 people were going to be, you know, showing up right here. Some, some notice would have been helpful. And, he, and he's like, okay, so what do we got? He's like, dude, we can't go feed everybody. And they're like, we don't have this. Uh, we, don't, we don't have enough, man. And he's like, okay, well, well what you got? And he's like, well, uh, I don't know. We, and, then, and then you got a, you got a kid in the, in the crowd says, hey, I got my lunch. And so he goes up and this kid just comes up with his lunch. Is like, he's got fish and he's got, you know, bread. And you wonder what the disciples are thinking. Like, you know, thanks, dude. But like, uh, you're obviously, you know, good job, but whatever. And then you imagine, what, what was Jesus thinking? He's like, perfect. That's, that's, all, that's all I need right there. That's all I need. And then, he, and, then he, and then he, I love it because he's like, okay, we got the lunch. Okay, actually, you guys, you guys are going to be a little bit annoying with your faithlessness. So I, just have everybody go sit down. You go kind of like get people split up. So he has them split up, go sit down. And then what does Jesus do? He takes what he has. He takes the, the kid's lunch and he gives thanks. He says, God, thank you for what you've given us. Do something incredible with it. And then it says 5,000 people. They're full and there's plenty left over. I don't know about you, you know, I fall into this trap a lot of looking at all the things I don't have or looking at all the things I'm not doing where I feel like I don't do enough or I feel like, I feel like guilt of like, man, there's so much in the world, but I don't have the time. I don't have the energy sometimes. I don't have the money. I don't have maybe the influence, you know, like, it's easy to look at what we don't have or all the things I'm not doing. I'm not, I, gotta, I, I feel guilty. I know I'm not doing enough. I could do more for that person and all that. What I love about Jesus, he's like, we're not talking about the stuff you don't have. I'm not, there's nothing in, in here where I'm like talking, like worried about what we don't have. What do you have? What do we have right here? Oh, we got a kid's lunch. We got a kid's lunch bag. That's perfect. Why didn't we have that? Why didn't you say we had that first? Now we can do something with it. You know, and I think what I love is that when you just kind of, when you show up, when you say, man, I don't know how we're going to do this, but I'm just bringing what I got. I'm going to be generous with it. I'm not holding it back. I'm going to be generous. And then you say, I'm just going to put it in Jesus' hands. And now I'm not going to worry about what I don't have. I'm going to give thanks for what we do have. And now I'm just going to open my hands and see what God does. Man, miracles happen everywhere. We just use what we got. You know, any, it shows me that anybody can make a difference. You don't need to be rich. You don't need to be influential. You can just be yourself and bring what you got. One of my heroes, you know, through this whole process was, uh, was Dr. Mark Ottenweller. It's a little blurry there, I guess. But uh, you guys know what Mark looks like. But, um, you know, Mark came and he came, you know, when I lived in Connecticut, he drove all the way up from Philly and, uh, and he didn't even know who I was and came and, and spent some time uh, with us. And we, we got to go into my high school together and, 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 and uh, share at an assembly together, going to some different classes. And when you hear Mark speak, you're just so inspired. He quickly became like my hero. Like, I was like, I want to be like that guy when I grow up. Like Mark Ottenweller, you know, who's changing the world. I mean, he was in my bedroom Skyping people from the Ivory Coast who had just heard gunshots outside their house. Saying, how you doing? What do you guys need? Like, just in my, in my bedroom. And I was like, this guy is incredible. 
And I was like, I qu- quickly just like, I, I want to be like that guy when I grow up. I also learned that Mark is one of the greatest nappers I've ever met. We didn't know if he was alive at different points because he was napping so hard. That's a whole different story. But, uh, but Mark, you know, he's been around the world. He's, he's, he's helped so many people. Um, sometimes I feel like, though, we feel like in order to really make a difference, I have to be like a global doctor missionary in order to really make a difference, like Dr. Mark. But then I get emails like this one that I got from uh, a mom who has a six-year-old boy named Avon. And I didn't know who this was, emailed me, said, hey, you know, over Thanksgiving, we went to some, uh, went to go help, you know, some people and give them some food. And uh, Avon, my little six-year-old boy, saw, um, you know, kids his own age there. And he was really impacted by it. And so, and he hasn't been able to stop talking about it since we left. He just keeps talking about, man, I want to help. I want to do something. He's six years old. So we, say, so we started searching the internet and we came across your site and we also, we, we want to help raise, you know, $365 to help send a kid to school. And, and what, I, what I learned about that, what I loved about that is that you don't need to be Dr. Martin. You can be six years old. And there's something inside of us when we're born, like stitched into our DNA that wants to make a difference, that wants to help somebody, that they're in that image of God that we have inside of us, that there's something in God that's in us that we just, we, we're born wanting to make a difference. But then quickly we look at all that we don't have. But then when we look at what we do have, what we do, you know, what we got, man, it, 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 miracles happen. I want to give you a couple of stories real quick because we've had so many people use what they have to make a difference. You saw Madison Dowd up here singing, you know, Madison, she said, man, I want to make a difference. I want to help some kids go to school. So she said, what do I have? Well, I have a birthday. So I'm not going to ask for gifts for my birthday. I'm just going to ask people to donate money so I can help send somebody to school. She said, what do I celebrate? I'll celebrate Christmas right? We all celebrate Christmas. She's like, I don't want to get gifts for that. I want to help, help give me some money so I can go help send a kid to school. You know, we have Zoe up in the top left. She got all her friends together. She loves art. And she said, uh, I, want to, I want to teach you how to do different art projects. And we're going to use that art to go give to people in need in the community and send over to the kids in Kenya. And uh, we just want to use art to change the world. Or, you know, we've had dance parties and volleyball tournaments. And if people are like, I love Super Smash Bros. I want to use that to help a kid. I'm like, awesome, rock it, you know. And so with so many people have done different things. My man, Justin Soriano, in the bottom, uh, the bottom center right there, one of my good friends here at North River, he has cerebral palsy. And, uh, and he could easily talk about all the things that he doesn't have. Uh, he can't walk. But he said, you know what I do have? I have my story. I have... The, the gift of storytelling and writing. So he actually wrote a book called The Boy with Six Legs that he wants to give to people that are in his same circumstance and situation. There are so many stories about that. I like my man Colt Shear on the bottom right. You know, he said, what do I have? I got my Spider-Man costume, okay? And so he just throws the Spider-Man costume on, goes out in the community and tries to encourage some kids. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about right there. But it's amazing what happens when all you do is just look at, what do I have with me? And you say, I want to just be generous with that. And you watch God take that and say, perfect. Let's do something amazing together. So I don't know what you have. What do you have? Maybe you have the gift of kindness. Maybe you have time. Maybe you have the gift of your attention. Maybe you have the words of God like Peter had when he said, man, silver or gold, I don't have what I do have. I want to give that to you. Maybe, I don't know, I don't know what you have, a talent. Some, you have an extra some space in your home. You have some extra food. Whatever it is, we all have something. God has blessed us with something. And when we use that, man, it just is extraordinary to see what happens. You know, the prayer that stuck with me a lot as we, as we, uh, as we close out here in a minute, the, play, the prayer that stuck with me a lot 
has just been praying, God, open my eyes. Because, you know, even the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about a lot of, a lot of different things. We've talked about being hospitable to people and serving people uh, in the church. We've talked about being on a mission together. And uh, sometimes, you know, you might be one of those who's just super inspired by that. And it's like charging the hill. Let's do it. Other times, I know for some of us, you might be like, man, okay, I got to help this person and this person, and I got to do this and I got to do this. And it just kind of feels that overwhelming and you kind of maybe feel guilty. You're just not doing enough. And, and the prayer that I love, and because Jesus commands us to do this, he just says, hey, don't worry about it. Open your eyes and just look. I'm going to give you some great opportunities. But what I need you to do, I, I'm going to be working. Actually, I, I have already been working everywhere. Like you have no idea what I've been doing behind the scenes. If you just open your eyes, you're going to see that there's been seeds I've been planting and watering and helping to grow. If you just open your eyes and look at it, then take advantage of that opportunity. All I need you to do is just be generous with what you got. Don't worry about solving the whole problem. Just what do you have in the moment? Give that. And that's when you really, you know, that's when you really make a difference. What's amazing is that when we live in that place of gratitude, of like, God, thank you for what I do have. I have so much. You've given me so much. When you live in that place of gratitude, generosity just overflows out of you without even trying. When you're in that place of gratitude. And when I love the, the thing, the, one of the most extraordinary things I've learned with JamQuest, and as I've met these kids, you talk to these kids and you ask them, just, hey, tell me, tell me just how it's been going. One of the first things they always say is, because I've been helped, I want so badly to help somebody else. Because one of the promises and the truths of the world is helped people help people. When you've been helped, when you're grateful, that's when, that's when you really want to go help somebody else. And I think when we live in that gratitude, man, it just flows from us. I remember that, that girl, Valentine, that you heard about in the, in the video with her daughter. I was interviewing her afterwards and uh, she had this, she was just going on. I mean, she's such a, she's such a dynamic uh, woman. And she just like was talking about this thing that she's getting involved in to help inspire teenagers. And then she was talking about uh, uh, the small business that she had. And she's talking about her brother that she's helping raise who's also getting help from JamQuest. And she's like basically just saying, man, I, I feel so grateful for what I've been given. And I just want to go help somebody else. And then she said this at the very end, it sent a little shiver through my spine. She looked at me and said, Nick, if you allow me, I'm going to shock the world. And then she just kind of walked off. <laughs> and then I was like, and it just totally inspired me. Totally inspired me. It's that Kennedy quote in the video. Those ripples that we, that we put out there, just give them what we got. Planting those seeds. You just kind of put something out there. God takes that, builds a current builds a current that can, it says, sweep down even the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. You know, as we, as we go out into the world today, I think God really wants to use you. I think he really wants to use you. I think if we just open our eyes and we give what we have, we, like Valentine, are going to shock the world. Let's pray and uh, we'll go on with the rest of our service. <clears throat> Father, God, we, uh, we are so humbled just that, just of what you have given us. God, we can make lists of hundreds of things that you have blessed us with and given us. We are uh, totally overwhelmed and humbled by how much you've lavished your grace and your blessings on us. God, uh, we, we really want um, 
we, we want to partner with you. We want to be used by you, God. We don't want to we don't want to just go through this life aimlessly, God. We want, to, we want to partner with you to really make a difference in this world because we know how hurting the world is around us. God, we pray, I just pray that, that you would just open our eyes. You would just, just show us opportunities. God, you would give us confidence to really use what we have and just be generous with what we have. God, please give, like, wipe away worry from our minds. Wipe away the ingratitude in our minds. Wipe away the criticalness that comes. And God, please just give us those hearts of, of generosity and confidence that, man, you're going you're gonna to work with what we got. We just pray, God, that you would, you would come, come through. God, we know there's so many people that are hurting. Fill them, God, with your spirit, with your comfort. Feed them, God. With the, just give them what they need. And please use us, God, to really partner with you in that together. Thank you for Jesus, God, who being rich himself became poor for the sake of us. And that in his poverty, he died so that we could live, we could live fully and we could live rich lives. Help us do the same for those around us, God. We love you. Amen.